This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Well, welcome to the Inspirational, Informational, and Transparent Aviation Careers Podcast. You know, if you have any questions, comments, or inspirational stories, maybe even an announcement, write us at feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Today, I have a special guest whose story, I think, will help inspire you and others while working towards your career goal. But before I introduce our guest, uh, a few announcements. First of all, if you're going to be at the Sport Aviation Showcase this year or any of the years coming up, you can find out more at sportaviationshowcase.com. That's in Deland, Florida. This year it's November 14th through the 16th. It turns out I'm actually going to be able to make that show. I'll probably be there on the 15th. I know I'll be there the 15th and 16th. The first day of the show, I am not sure yet. But we are actually going to be there helping out Sun and Fun Radio, who does a live broadcast. And I think it's going to be, I think it's the same thing this year. I think it's Facebook Live. Uh, but you can go check it out there at the Deland Sport Aviation Showcase. I'm going to be there along with Tom Frick uh, from the Stuck Mike Avcast and Michael McClellan, also from the Stuck Mike Avcast. He's going to be doing the air show announcing. And I think Roy Brewer, who was on the Stuck Mike Avcast before, is going to be there also. Not a lot to do with uh, the aviation careers. A few things are going to be there for aviation careers, but uh, but I'm going to be there. I'd love to meet you. If you do see me at an air show, by the way, and I get this comment a lot, I'm usually interviewing somebody. Maybe either come back or wave at me, say, hi, uh, and you can always get your, your picture or something like that with me and I'm posting on Instagram or Facebook or something like that. I'd, I'd love to hear uh, from you folks, but don't don't be shy and just ask somebody, hey, can I talk to Carl? Because sometimes there's these people that are around me that they you know, are like handlers and stuff. They don't let people come close, but let them know that you're, you know, you're a listener from the podcast. You just want to say hi and they'll let you come up and say hello. Also, don't forget aviation careers podcast. There's all those courses and, uh, the career coaching. And, uh, don't forget to uh, pay it forward. I don't think all the coupons are used up. The pay it forward coupon gives you one year free access. Uh, and if you want, you can buy free access for somebody else by paying it forward. So those coupons are out there because people wanted to pay it forward, uh, pay it forward in all one word is what you can use when you check out the scholarships guide. You know, I always say at the end of the podcast, if you have some kind of inspirational story, please write us and tell us a little bit about yourself. Maybe you want to relate a challenge you had in your aviation career, training, etc. And, uh, you know, some people have taken us up on that. And uh, most of them are people that have already in a career, been there for a while. But uh, today I have with me somebody who is working towards a career in aviation and is someone who's been nice enough to come on and talk about his, his challenges, his successes in aviation and with training. And that's uh, Cole Oliveris and, uh, from uh, California. Hey, Cole, uh, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, Carl. It's good to be here. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm so uh, thankful for you to step up and, and talk a little bit about your training and uh, also about some of your challenges. But currently, you're working on a rating, and I think we interrupted you getting ready for, I think it's your commercial. Is that correct? Yes, it's my commercial uh, check ride, um, my single engine. Cool. Um, and I'll kind of. I'll probably get into a little bit about that. Yeah, um, yeah, that, during the show. Sure, that'd be awesome. But uh, but before we start that, just uh, tell us a little bit about your background. You are somebody that got into aviation really, really early. So, kind of tell us a little bit about uh, that, about when you got into aviation, and what what spurred this on. 
Um, well, it, it really just started with, you know, my parents, you know, got a really supportive mom and dad who my dad has always wanted to fly. He's lifetime truck driver. He started his trucking business when he was 18 and he's had that business ever since then. And, you know, he's always regretted not getting his pilot's license. And so I just grew up like always going to the airport, seeing the planes take off this and that. And then also, you know, living in California, we have fire season pretty much all year round. And where I grew up at my house, seeing these air tankers come, you know, a hundred feet over my house into the canyons, dropping the water, going out. And I just thought that was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I, I still today, it's, I think it's California's state bird. And that was the <laughs> Cal Fire <laughs> air tankers. Well, um, let's hope that bird goes away someday. I, I don't want to hear that it's going to burn up. <laughs> right. No, they're doing a great job and they, they are amazing. I mean, the things they do is incredible. But, you know, at 15, I went down to the local airport to an FBO and had an intro flight. And from there, that's when it started. I really started taking flying lessons seriously about sophomore year, end of sophomore year. I started uh, going to a Part 61 ground school to help, you know, get the private knowledge there. And then started uh, flying a lot more frequently. And over the course of two years, it took me about two years to complete my private certificate while going to school and everything. I got my private certificate at 18 in 2016. I believe it's March 1st, 2016. And then um, I actually took a little break from aviation to pursue some personal goals and things like that. But in 2018, um, I came back from pursuing those personal goals and got back into aviation. I went and got my annual flight review done. I got uh, checked out in a uh, Cessna Cardinal with uh, retractable gear. So that was a fun aircraft, a little more capable than a 172. And, um, and aviation since then has just played a huge role in my life, even in meeting my now wife. Um, we met in an airport getting onto a airline and took that flight together. And then from there, kept in contact. And now we are happily married uh, two years later, and that airline knew that we met on the plane, and they actually sent us a. They sent us the, our first anniversary. They sent us a gift basket congratulating us that we met on their airline. And well, that's cool. Just just that we that we uh, got married, and they thought that was awesome. That is awesome. Can we mention the airline? I'm not sure if you want to, but that that's really neat. Um, it, w- it was Delta Airlines. They were pretty cool. Pretty big airline. That was awesome. Yep, pretty big. Hats off so, to Delta. Great for doing that. that that's really yeah. a neat story. So you, you wound up getting, did you, what kind of gift basket, if you don't mind me asking? So let's see, it was a flight to Georgia, and obviously their main hub is there in Atlanta. And so they put together a gift basket Georgia style. So Georgia peaches, Georgia peach cookies. <laughs> peach everything just a bunch of sweets and goodies and sent that out to us that's awesome what what a neat way to be introduced to a, i mean that is an incredibly unique story uh to be introduced to aviation in that manner and, and introduced to your wife so now during this period that you're getting your licenses was there any thought of you possibly doing this as a career um yes i well i would say at the very start i knew i wanted to fly i didn't know that pursuing it as a career was as doable as I now know it is. 
Um, and so that kind of deterred me away, but I knew I always wanted to fly, but now, you know, looking back, I knew I always want to do it as a career. I mean, I go up and that's the way I have fun. That's the way I, you know, let stress out. I mean, it's just a, it's just a great way to interact with something that I'm sure most people don't get to do on a daily basis. So for those people that are not thinking of a, a an eventual career in aviation, it's still, it's a wonderful thing to do, right? Oh yeah. I, I mean, if time keeps moving as, as people say it is, I'm sure everybody will have a pilot's license here and flying around their flying cars. So it is something that's, that's awesome. <laughs> well, and my, I, my wife even, my wife even wants to get her private license. So I think that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that's, that is really cool. So you came back after, and you rented a, or started renting a Cardinal, which I, I guess that's a complex, right? It has the gear, uh, barrel pitch propeller. Is that correct? Yep. So variable pitch propeller, um, retractable gear, but it is not a high performance. It's only a 200 horsepower uh, Lycoming engine. Gotcha. Okay. So then you were renting that. Now what happened? Where'd you go from there? Um, from there, I was still working full time, going to school full time and trying to get my instrument rating. And it was just, it was just difficult making time for, you know, continuous flying. And especially I believe in the instrument portion of your training, having consecutive flights is important or else you just kind of lose the skills that you've just practiced. And so it just wasn't working out as I wanted it to. And so when the school semester ended, I, my wife and I decided together that it would be most beneficial for me to go to um, a full-time flying program. And I did a lot of research. I looked at part 141, 61, you know, what was going to be the best option for me. I called a lot of schools seeing what they could do. And I chose an accelerated program because for me, just the, the time aspect was important and I felt like that was the best use of my time. And so I chose to go that route and there are definitely benefits to both. So you said 61 and par 141, usually the 141 programs are accelerated, but there also are programs that are 61 that are, are a lot faster, right? Yes, um, the, the school I'm currently at is a Part 61, and it is an accelerated course. So I'm so glad you said that, because I think a lot of people are under the impression that the 141 programs are the only accelerated courses, and, and that's not true. You do get your ratings quicker, um, and you do wind up in less hours, but uh, I should say less hours. But in Part 61, you can actually complete it very rapidly. And I wound up going to a 141 school and then switching to a 61 myself because of that. I mean, just uh, there are some restrictions somewhat on 141. You can't really vary the syllabus as much as you can under Part 61. And depending on how it's structured, you could actually get get through the training quicker in 61, which, which I guess is what you've experienced, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was honestly a toss up. I think the thing that made me pick the Part sixty one school was the fact that I was able to live with family. My wife's parents they live really close to the training facility, and it just made it a lot easier financially on us. You know, newlyweds. You know, I'm twenty two years old. I don't really have a long career history, big savings, and things like that. So I just I think that aspect you know drew me more towards the Part sixty one. And you also mentioned something about school between semesters. Now, were you attending college at the time? I was, yeah. So I was. So my day job was I was a construction worker, just um, you know, trying to make money, um, hard labor. And then I would get off work and then go to school um, at night. 
and they were aviation classes. Um, so like aviation, weather, um, instrument classes, commercial, things like that. And then that all credited towards like a 141 school. And then um, I would try to fly in between that. So you're going to actually uh, eventually get the degree or you already have the degree in aviation? I will eventually get the degree, yes. Okay, so you're pursuing both at the same time, which is another way that you can accelerate your movement to the airlines. I think another key point here is that don't let don't let the degree stop you from moving into the airlines. A lot of the regionals will hire you without a degree at all. Uh, the important thing, and I'm sure you know this, and and most of the listeners here do, is that once you get to the majors, is where uh, it, it gets a lot more competitive, and it uh, sets you apart by having that four year degree. But there's nothing stopping you from flying and also doing the the degree, say online. So in the school that you're going to, do they offer that type of a thing where you can do the degree online? Um, the school I'm currently going to um, isn't associated with the college, so they do not offer a degree program. Um, the degree program I was doing was through a separate community college. But just like you said, you don't necessarily have to have the degree when you're looking for you know, your first job with a 135 or your, your first job with a regional airline. You know, working on that degree you know, through a university, through online somehow is, is totally doable. And for me, I felt like focusing on the flying aspect was a more important, you know, getting the hours, you know, just qualifying for those future positions. I have to agree with that. Now, let's go to the flying portion of it. The What you're doing right now, in the beginning, you did Part 61. You, you did it not quite the rapid rate because it was an accelerated program when you got your private. But now you're doing that. I'm sure a lot of listeners are wondering, you know, what are some of the advantages of, of doing it that way? But also, maybe what are some of the challenges and, and what challenges have maybe you had? Um, well, I'll start with the pros first. The pros are it, it is fast. I mean, you know, a lot of these, I mean, there's accelerated schools popping up all around the country, all around the world. I, you know, get emails from other schools that are like, hey, we have this program, you know, from day one to you know nine months we you know you can have all the ratings you need to be a hireable pilot through your commercial multi-engine things like that so from in nine months being able to potentially go out and find a job that's pretty quick and i think that's one of the things that draws a lot of people in and i also think that's a disadvantage and some people don't realize how how fast it can be and how much you need to put into um, making sure you're you're learning all the right procedures and being safe while you're learning how to fly. So the, um, a major advantage of an accelerated program, it, it is fast and it will get you through. I think a, an advantage also is the availability of aircraft. And, uh, you know, the way I was doing it when I got my private, I had to you know, find an aircraft to rent and then find an instructor. Well, when you're in a, you know, an established Part 61 accelerated program or a 141 um, school, you know, the aircraft are there and the instructors are there. And so that takes out a lot of effort on your part to go find those things and to keep up with maintenance and to keep up with currency and making sure your instructor's keeping up with, with her or his currency and so I think those are some major advantages to those things. So, and those sound like really good things. Now, let's kind of flip the coin here. Maybe talk a little bit about some of the disadvantages. It sounds like this is really fast, so 
Um, I'm assuming there's a possibility of maybe a little bit less uh, depth of knowledge or not being able to hang out on a certain topic for a while because it seems like you, you're really going hard charging to get the thing done. Yeah, um, I I make it a, uh, a personal goal to just read as much as I can and and study as much as I can, especially in, I'd say, Part 61 schools. You were saying that they're not as structured as a Part 141. A Part 141 has a very structured syllabus. They have classes associated with your flying. You know, while you're working on your private certificate, you're going to have classes at the school that are going to go over, you know, the things you have to know to be a private pilot. And in a Part 61, it's not that easy. I feel like there's a lot more weight on the individual to go out there and study, to know the, to know the information. But the good thing is they do give you the resources to do that. But like you're saying, the depth of knowledge and the understanding can sometimes be a little harder in an accelerated program because you're moving so fast. And I've experienced that myself. But I think some ways to overcome that are to just get a group together, to study together, or um, just ask a lot of questions and try to find the ways that you learn the best. So people understand there's a Part 61 that's accelerated, but also the regular Part 61 that most of us see are the you know the smaller flight schools at the the local uh, city airport. And, you know, somebody's there helping you learn how to fly. And that's uh, it, a lot of times you wind up getting a really good education there. But you also it all varies based on the school and the individual where sometimes in these accelerated programs, another bonus to the program, but also can be a negative, too, is the fact that um, there is some quality assurance there. I mean, if you're having a problem, you can go to somebody and say, hey, listen, I have an issue with this instructor or I'm having an issue with the syllabus at this point. Can we find someone else to help me? A lot of times, at like some of the smaller schools, you may not have that, but a lot of times though, you, you get lucky and you find a good instructor at a local uh, flight school that does a great job. So I think a, a big important piece to this is not just in the accelerated program, but in every program that you're involved with, whether it's Part 61, 141, sorry, 61 Accelerated, you, you do have to take control of your training kind of like you've done, haven't you? Exactly. You know, it, I felt like going all in, you know, moving up here with my wife's family, going to the school was my way of like ensuring that I'm putting all my effort into learning the knowledge and to being the best student I can be. And I think that's, you know, if, if people are looking at this as a career, I think that's something to consider. You know, if I want to do this as a career, I need to be as professional as I can be and learn the things that will help me be safe and keep others safe. And that's kind of the way I look at it. So from your perspective, uh, and I'm, I make you a bet you're going to say it depends. Do you think, would you recommend this, this accelerated program to people? <laughs> well, it depends. Yeah, I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's definitely a personal choice to see, you know, I had an aviation background. I watch a lot of aviation videos. I read about it all the time. I felt like I had a good base knowledge to go at an accelerated rate. But I could also, I kind of look back and say, you know, what other things could I have learned if I went to a 141? You know, what other things could I have been better at if I've done this? Which may or may not have been the case, but I'm happy where I'm at right now. And I'm just, you know, working hard to move forward. And I think that's the most important thing. And like you say, do one thing to keep moving forward in your aviation career. I think that's important to do every day. 
Yeah, and, and and what you're doing is exactly that. And going back to the 141, the reason that that is so structured and there's no wavering is because the FAA actually approves that 141 syllabus. Yep. So you can't, you, you know, when I've worked, I work a lot with 141 uh, syllabus and I, I look at the different programs. I say to myself, well, this person is doing really well. We can kind of, we don't have to do all the review lesson portions that we, we normally would do, but I can't do that. When I'm doing 141, I have to do those. And that actually can take a little bit more time, can it? Yes. And see, that's, in my case, I was working on my instrument rating before I came to the school. I didn't have my instrument. But when I started the instrument portion at this school, I was able to finish it at a much faster pace than was typical because we were able to skip some review lessons, be able to move faster through the through the portion of the course. And I got my instrument uh, rating, I think, within four weeks. That's quick. Um, which, yeah, which is quick, which it usually takes about, I don't know, eight to ten weeks to get. And so... Um, that that would be a, a benefit of a part sixty one over a one forty one, and that's uh, and that's actually what I did on my instrument. I kind of hunkered down. Uh, one of the things that helps too is being prepared. I know you kind of mentioned that there before. Is like just make sure you're ready for all those lessons and uh, and you've done the studying in advance. But I'm curious since you, it is so jam packed like that. How do you get time to prepare for those lessons so that you're you're actually ready to actually do the oral portion or the flight portion? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I, so typically you'll either typically you'll fly about three times per week. Um, so two hours per flight. So you fly about six hours per week, and then you'll have um, sim time on the simulator, probably about twice a week for about two hours. So there's four hours. And so we're about eight hours of flying and sim combined. And then the rest of the time you're reading in the P-Hack the, um, or reading the ACS or watching you know, videos that the company has put out for us to learn the material. You're looking at your approach plates, you're reading the far aim, and you're just trying to take notes, write them down, whatever you have to do to know this knowledge. So when you come to your next lesson, for example, you know the different kinds of entries for a hold, and you know how to find that out and stuff like that. So it's up it's up to you, but you have to be disciplined, and and that's true in any flight training, really, if you think about it. Whether it's you know you got started and at a small airport, even when you get to the airlines, you, you need to do that that studying on your own, and that's uh, kind of a good environment to be in. I know we talked offline a little bit before talked a little bit about the fact that you wouldn't recommend this to everybody. Could you give maybe an example of, of a person you would think may not be a good fit for this type of accelerated program? I feel like if someone has the determination, has the, the discipline to do it, I believe anybody can do it. But maybe for some who like going into really in-depth detail and really like to take their time in getting, you know, all the knowledge they can. Um, maybe this is not for you. Maybe you have a, maybe you have a job and you want to try and get your ratings while you're working. You know, this an accelerated program might not be for you because an accelerated program typically you'll, you know, agree to the company's terms that you'll be able to be available. You know, six days a week, eight hours a day minimum. And maybe that's not, maybe that's not an option for you. And so just seeing how you would make an accelerated program work 
versus maybe a part 61 um, flight school that, you know, you go at your own pace, like we were talking about, just maybe a mom and pop or find a really good flight instructor at an airport that can work around your schedule. That's, that's kind of the advice I would give there. You know, it's interesting while you're talking, I remember that some of the accelerated programs out there, they actually had a separate department and some of the really senior instructors would actually teach through this other service. And I got my one of my ratings that way where I would go through this other portion of the accelerated school. And it was like that. It was just like a mom and pop. I mean, you're there. Uh, you're not in uniform with everybody else because a lot of these bigger schools have uniforms. And you're just coming off the street and you're learning how to fly. But you're also getting some of these really good instructors, which is really cool. So I'm not sure if you've actually seen that. It's not that prevalent, but I was just curious. Did you ever see that when you were in your travels? I know you researched a lot of schools. I did actually. And I, I believe the school we I'm at now, we use a very well-known online school to help supplement with videos and um, practice tests and things like that to help the knowledge. And also in the part 61 mom and pop shop that I um, got my private at, they also use the same online program to help you know get that knowledge across. And I know that I had a ground instructor that would also that was a professional pilot flying for a regional and also came in and taught the ground school. And so I believe there you can find those places that have, you know, the structure there and then reach out to other sources of information to pull those in to help, you know, the student learn. So one of the things that I think a lot of people are are probably asking now uh, that you've kind of told us the whole story is, you know, what's next? I mean, you, so to go back, you currently are about to take your check ride for your single engine commercial, right? Yes. And so a little bit of background about my single engine commercial. So I actually got a letter of disapproval for my first attempt at my single engine commercial. Um, and the reason for that was I passed the oral, very, you know, flying colors. The oral went great. Um, and I went out to pre-flight my aircraft, and I don't know how many times I've done a pre-flight for a um, 172. It was it's probably about 100 plus times I've pre-flighted a, a 172, and um, this this time I went out to pre-flight my 172 while checking the the oil. Um, I um, cross-threaded the oil cap, and so it wasn't on fully. And so when my examiner came out to look at the aircraft, he found that the oil cap was not put on properly. And so he had to give me a letter of, of disapproval for that. And so that that was a really crushing moment for me. Um, you know, just like a once a lifetime kind of thing happened on a very important check ride for me. And it was it was a big bummer. And I'm glad I look back at it now. I'm glad he found that because, you know, oil in a four cylinder engine is pretty important because that oil could have come out and we could have had an engine seize and had a real emergency while we were flying. So I'm really grateful he found that. And it helps me learn how to, you know, pay more attention to detail and make sure I'm going through the procedures well. And so my flight portion of my commercial uh, check ride is going to take place uh, in the next few days. Well, and, and I'm sure you'll do well with that. It's just that that 
I, I know when we have those instances happen, it can be really tough on us and, and getting back up off of, of that can be kind of hard. So um, if you I'm sure there's people out there that are listening that have actually had a notice of disapproval. And, uh, you know, what, what did you do for yourself psychologically to get yourself back on the horse again uh, and, and get moving forward? Um, honestly, it was, it was hard for a couple hours. Um, you know, I had to call my wife. She was expecting me to call say, I passed. I'm a commercial pilot. You know, instead I called her and told her that I, you know, got a letter of disapproval and I would have to try again and, you know, call my parents and cause they were expecting it as well. Like, Oh, you passed, you know, his instrument check ride went so well, you know, commercial shouldn't be a big deal. And, um, it probably took me a solid day to just think about what happened and, you know, tell myself it is not the end of the world. If you get a letter of disapproval, yeah, you know, it's going to come up in an interview. It's going to, you know, be a question that you'll have to answer frequently, but it helped me learn. And from my check ride that happened, you know, in the last few days in between then and now I've, you know, went and found tons of sources on different checklists and things like that. And I've actually made um, a supplementary checklist for myself um, using the PAVE model to keep myself more organized and to make sure I'm hitting all the, the points that I need to to have a safe outcome of every flight I go on. And so I think just keep moving forward, not getting discouraged, just telling yourself it, it's not the end of the world. You know, everything's going to be fine if you keep moving forward and show that, you know, you're not so discouraged that you just quit. I mean, I think that's a huge thing. If someone sees that, you know, you failed one of your check rides, if you keep moving forward and, you know, get your commercial, you get your multi, you get your CFI, your MEI, your double I, things like that. They see, you know, he kept working hard. He got all of his ratings. And I think that shows a lot. Yeah, I think you're right. And keeping moving forward is important. And uh, so you are going to go through all those stages uh, when, and everybody has challenges in their training, no matter who you are. It's uh, it's trying to, like you said, reflect. You're going to go through all the stages of, of you know, anger and uh, disappointment in yourself. And then you, you pick up, you move on, and then you look back and say, oh, that wasn't that big of a deal. Uh, like you said, you just have to explain it on every interview for the rest of your career, but hopefully there won't be too many more of those interviews left. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you'll be working at a, a major or wherever you want to go. So I guess that's the, the next question. After getting your commercial, um, what are you going to do next and why? Where, are you, where do you think you're heading? Um, I, after getting my commercial, I will probably work on my CFI and then my double I. So that's your initial flight instructor and then your instrument flight instructor certificates. And so that way, I, I believe that becoming a CFI shows that you really hunkered down and you learned the knowledge and have the understanding of the principles of flying and then moving on to you know get a a job after that with a 135 or you know build hours as a cfi to you know the 1500 you need to apply for a regional so some of the people that are listening um we get a lot of listeners that are actually parents of people that are thinking of flying for a living and a lot of them are airline pilots. And interestingly enough, they 
look at this at a different from a different perspective. If you remember, like when I was learning and going through the whole training process, you had to have a thousand hours of multi, or you had to have five hundred hours of multi, or, or you know, at one point it was a minimum of a hundred hours, which it came down to. I haven't really heard you talk about this, and I'm I'm interested in hearing your perspective. If you're talking to somebody who's say a parent of somebody who's thinking about going into this as a career. I mean, what would you tell them from from what you've experienced and what you heard as far as do you really need all that multi-engine time, the the thousand hours like we used to hear all the time? Um, I believe the requirement is 25 hours of multi right now for the regionals. It was just pretty low. I mean, you, you go from, you know, a lot of guys that are flight instructing, they're flight instructing a 172 and they get their 1,500 hours and before you know it, they're flying Embraer 175 you know, doing more than a hundred knots that they're used to. So, um, I, I'm going to get my, my multi-engine commercial and my MEI. That's definitely part of my plan. If, if you can just meet the requirements and you know, you know, you can get a job after you meet the requirements, I would say, you know, it's fair to go that way. Um, for me, I think I value multi-engine time more than single-engine time because you are flying a more complex aircraft. You do have to be, instead of you know five minutes in front of the plane, you have to be 15 minutes in front of the plane. You can't let that plane control you. You have to be able to control the plane. And it shows you know, a person that has 500 hours of multi-time versus someone that has 500 hours of single-engine time. You know, that person... The person that has a multi-time probably has a little bit more situational awareness and capability of, you know, controlling his atmosphere, in my opinion. So, and you're dealing with a lot of other systems that you don't have in the single-engine aircraft. There's multiple systems. There's figuring out which one failed, that type of thing. And, right. Uh, and so there are there are quite a few different things uh, that are going on. Interesting that you said that. Uh, and I want to go back to what you said originally, though. 25 hours. Isn't that amazing? I mean, now uh, you don't even have to have the requirements for the, the full ATP because they're going to get you those hours in the simulator when you go to a regional airline, you know, the 50 hours or whatever. There's... There's that requirement that even uh, another really interesting thing, too, is that if you have a partnership with some of the regionals, like some of these bigger schools have, you actually can get hired with just your instrument rating, not even having uh, the multi-engine done. It's a conditional hire, but then again, everything's a conditional hire when it's an airline. And then when, right. you, when you get to the point where you have enough hours, you can start applying. Curious, though, so you're going to try to build those hours, sounds like uh, flight instructing, eventually getting some of the, the multi-engine instruction time. So after that, it sounds as if uh, you talk about 135 and also the regionals. It sounds that most of these schools are still pulling from the regionals, or most of these regionals are pulling from these, these uh, accelerated schools and schools in general because of the fact that um, you can build so many hours uh, with the regional, and it's an easy sell. Sometimes with the 135 operators out there, they don't fly quite as much. That's not always true. And that's what's really, I think, appealing to most students. So I'm kind of curious. I guess that's that's something that um, you and also some of the folks that are at your school, I, I think or assume, are looking at is how many hours are you actually going to get during the year yeah um i think it's important something that's really helped me out is having contacts in the aviation world that are flying for a living right now um i have you know a couple friends that are flying for the regionals that have gone through 135s and things like that so they've told me about it and they've shared their experiences with me and i've done a lot of research um for myself and so basically you've been networking you've been talking yeah 
So yeah, I think networking is really important. And I believe your question was um, which route to take 135 or, you know, going to the regionals. Um, for me, I think I'm 22. I know that, you know, the faster you get into the airlines, the more seniority you can build, the more um, time you have to get PIC and things like that. But I also, you know, want to go out and, you know, have fun experiences. My wife and I kind of agree that, you know, we'll go where we, where we have to go to um, get hours and to build time. And I have you know, a list of aircraft that I would really like to fly. And I look at these 135 operations that fly those aircraft. And so to me, I might take, you know, a year or two to go fly those aircraft that I've always wanted to fly, go be in those places that I've always wanted to be in while getting some hours. And so it's a trade-off. Do you want, you know, a guaranteed 80 hours a month versus a guaranteed 60 hours a month? Or, you know, do you, have you always wanted to fly King Air or have you always wanted to fly a Pilatus or something like that? So I feel like it's all personal choice. I agree. I mean, there. If you're just thinking about building hours, obviously the regional is the way to go. But uh, right. but you have to have fun. I mean, you got to enjoy life a little bit. And uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a perfect example of that I I didn't quite take the fastest route, but I took the route that I really enjoyed and got many varied experiences. Another thing that you mentioned, and I think this is important, is. Uh, some other students are out there and they're also married. They have families. I think it's really important. Uh, you obviously, because of uh, what you said, you did get some buy-off on these goals uh, with your spouse and the rest of your family. Um, what what was that like? I mean, how was that conversation? Was it, uh, you know, hey, I want to do this and that's it? Or, or did you kind of set some goals and, and put together a plan? Um. Well, I, I, my family, my immediate family definitely knew that I wanted to fly. And so it was always a thing like they were always helping me to reach my goals. And then when I met my wife, um, you know, of course, whenever you meet someone, the fact that you're a pilot usually is one of the first things that comes out. Um, and so she knew I was a pilot and knew that I wanted to do it as a career. And yeah, we, I mean, we still talk about it, still talk about what is the next move for us. What's the right thing for us to do? Um, and especially before I came to this school, we, you know, were on a, on a notebook, on a piece of paper, you know, having all these columns of all the pros and cons of this and that, and, you know, where would this lead and where would that lead? And I did have to, you know, have those conversations and say, you know what, if I go here, it's going to require a lot of my time. I'm going to have to be, you know, gone most of the day studying, flying, um, doing the things I need to do to reach all my goals and you know it's it's worked out so far i think it's been a really beneficial thing for the both of us um my wife also is finishing up her degree at school and so we're both really busy and to me it's it's still probably the best option that i could have chosen well, that's awesome to hear. And I love the fact that you guys just sat down with just a notebook, something simple, and, and went forward from there. And that that's what it can do to you. It can make a, a big difference in your life. You just sit down, do something as simple as that, write it down on a piece of paper, figure it out. It doesn't right. have to be anything complex, does it? <laughs> no. I mean, I did, I did take it a few steps further. When I was doing all my research, I did fly. I took my mom and I flew her and myself up to different 141 schools to go see and i think that's important to do at least talk to them on the phone or if you can go to the campus and you know look at the planes look at the atmosphere 
talk to students that are there say do you even like being here kind of thing and i think you know the the experiences you get from that show a lot about the school and I'm glad you brought that up because one of the things, and uh, we're going to have to knock off here in a little bit because I have a coaching session next, but one of the things that I do go over with a lot of people, especially in their initial coaching sessions for their careers, is uh, don't just look at a brochure. You really need to get out there and find out uh, if it's really what is advertised because, you know, a lot of th- times things are different. You know, you go to a hotel, you look at it online, and it's not quite the thing that you expected. Same thing with flight schools. Also, you have to see if it's a fit for you. You get that feel for, hey, this is where I want to be. I mean, if you're going to go to college, you're going to visit college campuses. Um, it's the same thing with restaurants. You have those experiences. It's You can see all the, the ratings online, but you really need to go out there and experience it yourself. So I'm I, just so glad you mentioned that because that is just some great advice uh, to actually go and visit because there's a lot of people, and I'm sure you've run into them, that just jump into a school sight unseen and they realize, ooh, this is a big mistake. Yeah, and they, I feel like that's part of the reason, you know, maybe accelerated program isn't for some people because it's really easy to jump into really quickly, but then you get into it and you're like, oh, wow, this is, this is pretty, you know, this is not what I expected. So um, definitely doing your research, like you're saying, is, is important. And there's, you know, speaking of accelerated uh, flight schools, there's an accelerated flight school podcast. There's a lot of other folks out there talk about accelerated flight schools. It's a, it's something that you really need to have your mindset on to do. Uh, the flying in general is something you need to have your mindset on to actually move forward with. And that's where you have to, you know, kind of put that plan out there. But uh, Cole, before we finish up here, is there, there any other advice you give to people that uh, are thinking about uh, this, basically in general, the track in aviation and also uh, possibly uh, some advice for people that are looking at the accelerated schools? Um, obviously, just for me, it was I had this dream and I just kind of went out there and, and made it happen. You know, my wife and I, we took the risks. We, you know, took out the loans. We um, did what we had to do to make it happen. And if, the, if aviation is something that, you know, your heart is set on, I would say, do what you have to do to make it happen because it is really rewarding. It not only is a good way to have a, a fun and exciting career, but it's a good way to bring, you know, others together, bring family together, you know, giving rides to my parents, my, my siblings, friends. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. And I would just say, go out and do your research and see how you can make it happen. And if you're looking at an accelerated school, go and visit that school. I would ask students at accelerated flight schools how they're doing, what they think of the school, what they think could be improved about the school. And that could really give you a a good uh, understanding of what is best for you. Some great advice, Cole, and I really appreciate your doing this and talking to people. But I tell you what, I make you bet there's going to be a lot of folks listening. If you're listening right now and you have some questions for Cole, it's really simple. Just email us, feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I will send those to him. I'll either have him back on to answer those questions or uh, he'll write back. I'm sure you don't mind doing that, do you, Cole? Just maybe oh, answering something. Not at all, yeah. Awesome, awesome. Because I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be inspired by your story. And also, people are going to have a lot more questions 
uh, about the whole, not just accelerated process, but also maybe even your progress uh, as far as flying is concerned. And as a matter of fact, what we should do, Cole, we should have you back on uh, as you've got get through the ratings and maybe have kind of a, a, a you know a checkup as far as you know what's happening in your career. That'd be awesome. Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be a lot of fun. Well, Cole, this has been cool. It always gets me excited to hear from somebody talking about their career in aviation, but also just talking about flying. We get a little bit career focused, and I love the fact that you talked about taking your friends and your family flying, because that's what's really, really important. There's nothing that you'll remember more than the people's lives that you've affected when you take them flying. I remember the first time I took somebody up in an airplane. I remember the first time I took my brother, my, my dad, you know, I never had the opportunity to take my mom flying, but you know, all my friends and I still to this day, 30 years later, I'll remember those experiences. Um, and which is amazing because once you start flying for the airlines, you may not remember what city you just flew to. <laughs> so, so you, <laughs> right. But th- those experiences you'll, you'll definitely remember. Well, Cole, it's been awesome having you on. I really appreciate you doing this. And also, um, I think you what you've done is, is something really commendable for those people that are thinking about uh, doing this as a career. Yeah, for sure. I, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. So I'm glad I'm, I'm sticking with it. Awesome. Well, folks, if you're listening right now and you have questions for Cole, don't forget feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I'll forward those questions on to Cole. Also, we'll probably have him back on uh, the show and talk a little bit more about aviation and his career and how it's progressing. And, uh, you know, specifically, you know, the, the accelerated flight schools and also maybe your progress in your career goal might have a different path, just like Cole's has had a very varied path. That's That's for sure. But, uh, but really importantly is the fact that you should, you know, make sure as Cole has done is to keep moving in your career. And, uh, and by the way, if you're looking at, you know, help with your career and doing some, uh, I know we talked about career coaching in the beginning. I still have the career coaching. It's very difficult to get into my schedule. I get it. Uh, we're trying to put more and more classes together online. I just partnered with somebody today on doing some of those videos, especially the interview prep, because I get a lot of those. Uh, I ask the same questions over and over and I find have someone that can do the editing for me. Uh, so we're looking at putting some of those videos out for you because uh, that's really important that you're ready for those technical interviews and also for the personnel interviews. But one thing I do want you to do that's really important for me, and I know Cole agrees, is that that make sure that if, if you're listening right now, after you turn this off, don't, don't just walk away. Think about something that you can do. Take one step today to move forward in your career. It could be something really small. It could be writing down you know, some of the different suggestions that Cole has had. It could be going out and visiting a flight school or maybe looking it up online on your phone. But what I really want you to do, I want you to do something today to move forward in your career. Well, folks, I appreciate your listening. We'll talk to you next episode and safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although host or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.